0: guys it's MMA fighter Chael Sonnen check out my podcast you're welcome with Chael Sonnen every Wednesday and Friday right here at Podcast One we cover the latest in mixed martial arts and everything else going on in the world of sport listen free to your welcome with Chael Sonnen exclusively available on Apple podcasts at podcastone.com and on the Podcast One app if you love the show share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review
1: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Larue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Getting close to the end of the regular season and a lot of different things to talk about, and I wanted to have on Rob Mahoney talented writer and podcaster for Sports Illustrated, host and producer of the Breakaway podcast. And we had a a pretty wide-ranging conversation. Starts out because the Kyrie Irving news had come out like I think about an hour before we recorded this. So we talk about that and the impact of it. Then what we're looking forward to the rest of the regular season, the playoffs, matchups we want to see, the lessons we'll take away early, all those sorts of things. And then the last 15 minutes or so of the show is talking about how and why, and the background behind Breakaway, which is one of my favorite podcasts, not only in basketball, but in everything else. And so I'm happy that Rob wanted to talk about it because we got into kind of how it works. And I was so interested because it is incredibly different from what I do. And I think you'll enjoy it as well. I think hopefully you'll already listen to Breakaway. This podcast is brought to you by TrueCar. You can go there for to look for new or used cars. Great way to do that. This podcast runs a little bit over an hour. I think you'll really enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Danny.
1: We pretty much have to start this with the Kyrie news. I mean, I had been operating on an assumption that Kyrie Irving was going to miss the first round, and this actually came in two stages. The first stage was Woj's report that Kyrie was going to miss the remainder of the playoffs, which was followed about, I think, an hour later by the reason why, which is basically that he needs another procedure to fix some of the issues in his knee. Basically, there is a bacterial infection in the hardware, the the screws that were put into his patella when it got fractured back in the 2015 finals. So Kyrie Irving is going to be out four to five months. The hope, of course, is that he can be okay for the start of next season. But we can't know that for sure just because any procedure with that sort of a duration, if it extends a couple months or there are lingering effects or anything like that, it could go longer.
0: I mean, four to five months, if he's on the Gordon Hayward timeline, we should be asking about his availability in maybe two weeks, right? See if he's ready to come back, put out the Players' Tribune videos, see how we do.
1: Yeah, and I I would say that this formally ends Haywatch for this season, just because, I mean, it would seem like the risk, I mean, I already thought that just because you have to ramp up, and we haven't really seen a lot of the ramping up, but Boston is still in a very interesting place, I'm not sure if you read it, but Kevin Pelton had this piece about kind of how we should think about the Celtics now, and they're locked in basically to the two seed, and... His idea was looking at how they've been without Kyrie this year and seeing them as, you know, a plus team. I think he said like a a plus one in terms of net rating and a plus one team could win a playoff series. Absolutely. Depending on how the rotation shakes out any subsequent injuries to their, their team or whoever their opponent is. Do you think that's about right, or do you think that might be overstating it a little bit?
0: No, I do think that's about right. And especially when you look at the teams that they potentially would be playing, and a lot of people are saying, reporting, that uh, those teams towards the bottom of the bracket are going to be jockeying to get Boston, which, why wouldn't you? If the other potential is you know, to play the Cavs or the Raptors or the Sixers, Boston is the team you would want to play if you're one of those lower seeds, but... These are not the most trustworthy teams in the world when you're talking about the Bucks on a game-to-game basis or the Wizards on a game-to-game basis. I think the Pacers are eminently beatable. The Heat obviously have some pretty big flaws offensively. Boston is going to be in a dogfight in whatever series they're in. I think they still have the potential to win that series for sure, just because their defense is so good. And just what I, what they're able to kind of smooth over in terms of their lack of talent or lack of shot creation, they're not going to be a very adaptable team without Kyrie Irving. Just they don't have a lot of ability to respond to different kinds of pressure, to work around problems, things like that. But with Al Horford, you at least have a fighting chance. If you can survive long enough to get Marcus Smart back, maybe your rotation shores up a little bit. They're, they're still a, a very competent, well-coached team that's going to execute well, that's going to run good stuff, and if you're you know, one of those bottom teams, obviously you would want to play them, given the alternatives, but it's not going to be a walk in the park.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about it, and... I don't worry about their defense at all. I mean, they've defended incredibly well. It's been a, a key to this win streak that they went on, and you know, and general good play. They have lost a couple of games since that, including the one against Toronto, which was just a, just had some plenty of awful elements to it. But what concerns me about Boston is just their offense. And it will be hard for them to consistently score. I think they will be able to put it together for some games. And they can also, you know, win games that end up under 100. Absolutely. Like, I, I believe that they can win a series. But the other big swing factor for me that concerns me a little bit with the Celtics is that I think them ramping up their minutes, you know, so one of the big differences with the playoffs in the regular season is shifting the proportion of minutes played by a team's best players. And partially due to Kyrie Irving not playing and Gordon Hayward presumably not playing as well, there aren't as many best players for Boston shift on. And also their bench depth and execution and elements like that have been so good that they aren't getting as many benefits from the transition from regular season to playoffs as other teams are. That said, you can make an argument that another team like that is the Miami Heat because the Heat have ridiculous depth and we still don't know exactly what the Wizards are. It's possible that they might not be able to ramp up as much depending on how John Wall is feeling and everything like that. So that might be, I might be overstating it a little with these specific matchups, but it's something that concerned me about the Celtics last year too. And while that is far from the reason they lost in the Western Conference to the Cavs, it's just something that uh, it warrants consideration, I guess, is the best way to put it.
0: I think it definitely does. And I think something, too, is maybe the situation they're in now, and maybe they should have been in this mind frame already the second Hayward went down, but just kind of shifting into a healthier point of view in terms of what this team realistically is and can be this season, where you know they're obviously not going to have their best players on the floor. The expectations for that are going to be lowered accordingly. And in the meantime, you get, as we've seen this year and now to an even greater extent, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum really lifted into a situation that they're not going to be in on a night to night basis, at least at their current age and, and at skill level. But what they could be in this spot, so in the hope that, you know, they can do that in a lesser role and a slightly different role once all the players come back. I think that's an invaluable thing, and you know, it's you wouldn't expect them, you know, without Hayward to really be competing for a title, and certainly without Kyrie, they're they're not going to be in anywhere near that mix. But the developmental opportunities here are huge, and some of that's going to be super uncomfortable. It's going to be guys doing things that pushing a little further than they're supposed to. It's going to be Terry Rozier, you know, going a little haywire at times. But those opportunities can really pay off long term. And when you're the Celtics and you have, you know, not only so many great young developing players. But guys who are in their prime, you have a lot of draft picks and other assets. The way that this team is set up and positioned for the future, even in a, a dire situation like this one, which this is bad news, Kyrie's knee by any stretch. But there's always some kind of silver lining to almost everything this team is doing right now.
1: The closest parallel that I can think of, and this is a very instructive one for the Celtics, is this is makes them like that young team that makes it in. And has a chance to to do well, but you know probably is going to going to have to battle. But what makes the Celtics different from I don't know if you want to use those the early I think it was twenty eleven that or it was twenty ten the Thunder team that played the Lakers. What makes this different is that those teams all involved internal improvement. And I mean internal improvement like young players getting better, but that experience ended up being valuable in the future. Boston has that too. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, all going to get better with time. But what they also have is the other kind of internal improvement just due to personnel. They will be getting presumably Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, in other years. They still have a massive amount of of ammunition to improve in whatever term they want, whether that is the Memphis pick, which we'll see where that turns out, or just a lot of young players on good contracts. And so if they take this the right way and have that healthy perspective you talked about, it could end up being a very good thing for them because it was always true, especially once Gordon Hayward went down, that 2018 19 was going to be a better year than 2017 18 just due to age related improvements, as long as Horford doesn't take a big step back. And so, they probably weren't going to win the title this year. Maybe they, you know, sure, maybe if they were full strength, they could have made the NBA Finals and they could have had a good run. They could, you know, they, they had a high ceiling, of course. But in the scope of everything, getting this experience for the young players, having just proving that the execution of the regular season, I mean, Boston coming I mean, Nate and I talked about this yesterday but coming close to their over under which was ambitious in the first place when Gordon Hayward played two minutes this season is absolutely incredible so I think this if you as long as you Take it in the right way, both the regular season and the playoffs can be both successful and productive towards the larger goal that I think the Celtics and their fans have in mind the whole time. I think they definitely
0: can. And I'd be curious, too, to hear your opinion about we've mentioned all these pieces that the Celtics have to work with, and that this is really, you know, whatever happens in these playoffs is really kind of part of a longer game for them. I've been thinking about with them specifically lately what kind of window do you prefer? You know, let's say, you know, they have a lot of things they could package together, a lot of potential trades and deals they could make to get better now or to kind of extend their their window and so it's like do you want this maybe slightly more compact but incredibly competitive window let's say you can get to a 50 50 shot you know an even kind of series with the warriors potentially if you can make it to the finals and you you'd have a team that's that good but for a shorter period of time Or you can be good enough to be, you know, one of the top three or four teams in the league, but you get a couple extra years tacked on. I'd be curious to hear what you think and what a lot of people in the league think just in terms of whether the the length of the window is as important as kind of the brilliance of it.
1: It's fun because in many ways that is a matter of perspective not only for us but for ownership themselves and that's where this can really matter and for me I would say that the line is whether you can realistically compete for a championship and so I've started adapting something I believe Mark Cuban said this in the open court at the beginning of the season about how many injuries are you away so to me if you are more than a one injury away team I think that those and you have theoretical championship potential like if you can concentrate it I would rather go in that direction because then you you know, it's it's a, something your franchise can hold on to for such a long time. I think about that with the Blazers. You know, they had they've had some great years outside of their championship season, but their fan base can look at that and say, "Hey, I got to see that. I got to see this group of players." And even though that team fell apart pretty quickly thereafter, they've been able to do other great things since. And there, I, I do really enjoy that. But a team that's changed this a little bit for me and is, is the Toronto Raptors. And yes, the Raptors this year, especially now with what's happening with Boston, they could end up kind of bridging this gap. But the idea of having a long run that maintains continuity of personnel, because then you build a generation of fans. So uh, I guess for me... I would rather, if I could get to like, to like a realistic shot of winning a championship, let's say 40% or more, I would go for that just because I think a lot of the other spillover benefits are good. And because a lot of those teams that are built for like that more, a little bit lower level, but sustained success, they end up being vulnerable to aging or injuries, something like that. So there is risk, there is risk there that might be understated. And I'm not saying the Celtics would have to deal with this because their talent base is ridiculous. And they have Brad Stevens, at least for the time being. So they, they could, they will be better than that if that if like their baseline is higher. but the idea of winning a championship to me has so much value.
0: It absolutely does. I mean just from an organizational standpoint and I think one variable too in this and you kind of touched on it with you know hitting on the Raptors who I think could have gone down this path if their season had gone differently, if their approach had been different. But there's kind of a, a clippers effect here too, which is that even if you are playing a, a slightly longer game or minding a slightly longer window, you do risk alienating some of the key people involved if you're just consistently and stubbornly not quite good enough. To, you know, if there's just that one team that always seems to have, you know, always seems to beat you in the matchup or beat you in the playoffs or whatever it may be, I think my instinct would be to play that longer game and just try to get, you know, it, to borrow, you know, the process parlance, as many bites of the apple as you can get and just hope that one of those years goes right or as many of them as you can get to go right. But you also risk in that case, you know, if your superstars start to grade on each other, if things start to go a little stale, there's a bit of a fatigue. And, you know, maybe we'll see this with the Warriors even on their side of things where, you know, they start to get a little too complacent or a little too, you know, whatever it is when people are just kind of confined together for for too long a period of time. Some cabin fever in that that I think probably has to be accounted for as well.
1: Something along those lines that I have gained a much greater appreciation for this season. And a lot of this is being while I watch the whole league, I am closest to the Warriors because I'm geographically there. I write about them regularly. And I heard this a lot from the People who were around the Shaq Kobe teams about the grind that is being a consistently relevant championship contender team for three plus years. And so I think so much on the difference between that 73 win Warriors team, where they not only had the talent to be great, but they also had the motivation due to a lot of doubts, both those real and those perceived, and just the motivation because they hadn't been worn down as much. Yes, that team had made the playoffs for two years before they won a championship, but they hadn't really had that sort of a grind. And that team, in terms of mentality, in terms of everything else... They were just, they were killers every single night. Like that was, that was how they won 73 games was that they never let anybody off the hook. They just battled through everything. They, even when they were down 10 points with five minutes to go, they would just say, Hey, we can win this game. Let's do it. And juxtapose that with this year and yes they battled through so many injuries but this was true even in the beginning of the year they I don't think they had the grind in them and I understand that because it's exhausting not only the get every team is getting up for you but getting up for every other team And not having an off night, a lot of the other obligations when you are a high profile team, you know, if we want to say TV appearances, in person appearances, all that kind of stuff. And the fact that the Warriors did so much of that game to game dominance through defense and defense takes a lot of work too. It's not just, you know, some of the stuff that Kevin Durant or Steph Curry can do. And yes, it requires a lot of skill development, but it's defense is always a team effort. It's always a grind because there's no other way to do it.
0: And I think that's one of those areas where you really have to have a unity of culture and a vision and of an understanding of kind of what we're playing for here. Because I think some of those same problems came to bear in a completely different way in Cleveland at the beginning of the year. In terms of you have some guys who are trying to take every possession very seriously, some guys who want you know who want to dig in on defense but aren't feeling you know like their backs you know they don't have the support of the rotation, they don't have. You know the help that they're supposed to have, and so things start to fall apart really quickly. Everyone starts pointing fingers, and then you have other guys on the team who know. Look, we're playing. We're playing for June. We're playing for late May. We're trying to kind of be good and get in our our groove, but also pace ourselves for the long haul. And so if you don't have everyone pulling in the same direction in that regard, which I think the Warriors obviously do, everyone who's a part of that organization understands kind of what the score is, you can put yourself in in a pretty tricky spot. And I think Cleveland has kind of been able to dig out of it with the moves they made, but it took turning over 80% of their roster to do it.
1: It did. And another part of the culture, all of those things, is accountability. And LeBron, I do not blame him for this in the slightest. You know, we're about the same age. He's worked his body a lot harder than I have. I understand what waking up in the morning sometimes, why at at 33, he, he doesn't want to put in that grind every day defensively. And he's had a spectacular offensive season. I think this has been one of his best on that end. But the fundamental challenge there is it gets a lot harder, especially when the team was so veteran-laden as they were early in the year, to have the other guys who maybe wanted to grind a little bit more on defense to do so when their best player was in defensive chill mode for a lot of the time and was facing no consequences because everybody knew the score, to to use the phrase you said before. And I I, I totally understand that. But it, it can be a little bit pervasive. And the other reason why I think it was pervasive with Cleveland, and I don't mean this in a negative way, is that even without Kyrie, My belief is that they felt that it didn't matter what seed they got. They could take care of everybody else. And a lot of that is due to history. Yes, the Toronto Raptors ended up having, they're having the best season in franchise history. They're going to be the number one seed. I don't think Cleveland is scared of them that much. Celtics, you know, a little bit different. I mean, with Kyrie especially, but I I, I don't think that Cleveland came into the season going, if we get the three seed or the five seed or whatever, oh, it's game over. We're not going to do that. I think they go, well, flip the calendar to April 1st. We'll see where we are, and we'll just take care of everyone in front of us.
0: Well, they have that ability to pivot around whatever teams throw at them in the playoffs, and that comes from LeBron, where you know, if you play the Celtics, the Celtics are an amazing defensive team. But if you break down the film, if you look at your specific personnel you have on your team, and especially if you have LeBron, you're going to be able to puzzle away through some of what they do just by the nature of him being the best player on the floor. On the other side of that, the Celtics, you know, even if that were the matchup, if Kyrie were totally healthy, yeah, they would have a better offense. They'd be a significantly more dangerous team. But they also still have to solve for the fact that Cleveland is one of the most dangerous dangerous offensive teams in the league and that they're just overwhelming in that respect. That, you know, we've seen Cleveland run over teams in the playoffs in years past, just bombing away three-pointers, just completely, you know, flooding them in a way that it's just hard to bail out you can only kind of turn the pail over so many times trying to throw the water out of the boat before it overtakes you and Cleveland you really feel that way You know once once all their shots start falling and so this team is is tangibly different in a lot of ways but they still have some of that same explosion so much of the same firepower even though the personnel has changed and a lot of that just comes back to LeBron and it's part of the reason why in these playoffs it's going to be still so difficult to pick against him even though I think we all acknowledge that this is probably the most open that the east has been in a, in a while but it's still going to be you know in, on an individual series basis and this is something i've been kind of going back and forth on in terms of a, like a potential cast versus Raptors series it's just so hard to pick up against a lebron team uh because he can be you know he can exact his will on a series so thoroughly
1: It's also hard because every once in a while you get a little piece of information that some would see it as confirmation bias, but I don't, which is Toronto falling back on some of the things which made me so concerned before, and the best encapsulation of this was that game that Toronto played against the Cavs a couple weeks ago, Nate and I did it for the Twitter NBA show, and Toronto really outplayed them early, they got what they wanted from the bench, doing a good job, had a comfortable lead, Cleveland tightened it up in the third quarter, then... I believe it was, it was, like, the bench kind of kept it even or something like that, and then LeBron just took over late, Cavs won it going away, and you're just sitting there going, okay, Toronto's close to full strength in that game, they were on a back-to-back, I believe, but Cleveland was missing a bunch of dudes, because they pretty much have been this entire season, and you just go, we've seen this movie before, and even though certain elements of it are different, those previous series were so unambiguous that I put more weight on them. It wasn't about one lucky bounce or Kyle Lowry spraining his ankle last year and then playing on it and having, you know, and then it getting worse. The Cavs were a materially better team. And yes, they don't have Kyrie Irving, but it feels like the structures aren't the are are not the same but substantially similar, and it might turn out that that's misguided. It very well could but it doesn't feel misguided right now
0: not in the slightest and uh, like honestly i want i want to believe in the raptors it's been something that i've been kind of trying to talk myself into it all year you know with with so many of the changes they've made as someone you know if you're if you're watching the game and watching teams and trying to, you know, mentally take note of who's kind of making the right changes to their process. The Raptors have to be at the top of the list in terms of on a player basis, guys changing their habits on a coaching basis, emphasizing a completely different, you know, set of things from an offensive standpoint. It, the way, you know, their bench has come together and, you know, how, how lovable so many of the players are there and their games it's just it's it's a really charismatic group of players who are playing the best basketball in their franchise history there was really a lot to like about what they've been doing and then you start to think about okay who do I trust on that team to guard LeBron in a series you know between you know Serge Ibaka and Pascal Siakam and OJ Ananobi and it's it's just it starts to get dizzying and you can feel kind of the walls closing in on that series in terms of it's just so hard to match up with with that as your starting point because you're going to have to have a a matchup for you know when they throw Kevin Love at center, but you're also going to have to guard Larry Nance when they decide to you know put multiple bigs on the floor. You're going to have to account for all the shooting at all times, and we saw you know in that game that you referenced kind of what that does to you in terms of LeBron's layup and dunk line in the fourth quarter of that game. It's you know game planning against LeBron, and maybe this is there's you know, some kind of you know uh, coaching coaching group for this where they can get together and all share their horror stories about you know the long film nights and kind of what they had to do to try to figure out how to stop this guy. But I mean, he there's a reason he's one of the best players in the history of the game, and it's because he can take advantage of so many different matchups in so many different ways and his ability to kind of process that and to get one step ahead of you no matter what you throw at him it's it's impressive still and it's dizzying still even at this age
1: plenty more to talk about with rob mahoney but need to take some time to give you a message from true car if you're looking to buy a car you're probably familiar with terms like msrp might even know what it stands for but what does it actually mean the same goes for invoice list price and dealer price is enough to confuse anybody all you are really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for the same car you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. Whether you are ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Something I'm going to be watching this year is that one of the ways Cleveland has in previous years bridged the gap between their defensive talent and a lot of the other teams, because even... Like as good as they were in the twenty sixteen finals, I mean their defensive talent was not at the same level as a lot of the other teams. Is that Cleveland, I would attribute a lot of this to LeBron, does a wonderful job of understanding that playoff officiating is different from the rest of the the rest of it. And that means you can get away with more physicality, can get away with a little bit more off ball. And Cleveland, I think back on those twenty fifteen finals. Yeah, they they did lose that in six games, but I thought they did a a nice job throughout the East playoffs in in all three of those years of you know, doing the little grabs and holds and all that kind of stuff and understanding you'll get called for it sometimes. But as a tactic, it totally works. And why I'm so interested in that this year is the question of whether that was institutional knowledge with LeBron or whoever else, or whether it's some sort of other element, because this team has basically turned over entirely this year. So if all of those elements are in place, and a lot of the team turned over halfway through this season, two thirds of the way through this season. So if Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkson and George Hill, who's experienced the playoffs in various other cities, if they can get fully on board with that element of it, and they claw their way to like a league average defense in the playoffs, then this gets a lot harder because Cleveland's offense is awfully close to undeniable.
0: Well, I think there is an institutional knowledge there because, you know, you saw it, it seemed like it was right out of the gate in the 2015 finals in that first game where Kyrie was still healthy. Where the style of play in terms of the perimeter defense that you're talking about was just so different. And so, you know, clearly there's an understanding, you know, from a coaching side, from just a game planning perspective with that team that, okay, this is how we need to play against this type of team and what we can get away with and what we kind of have to do in terms of the gambit that you need to run against high, other high powered offenses like the Warriors. And so maybe maybe they are able to pull some of that stuff off, but I'm curious, too, to see how this kind of same idea applies to teams on the other end of the spectrum. Like, you know, there's been a lot of excitement about the Sixers this year for good reason. And, you know, in in the wake of Kyrie Irving's injury, a lot of thought about, okay, does that change what their playoff outlook could look like, how far they could potentially get in the postseason? And that's a team that's probably uniquely unsuited to take advantage of those things if they rely on any kind of experience at all. They're a really good defensive team, but they rely on so many young players who aren't going to know exactly what they can get away with in the playoffs and even you know some of their more veteran players have never played any me- meaningful minutes in the playoffs maybe accepting you know J.J. Redick Marco Bellinelli here and there I think but Robert Covington isn't coming to this with a wealth of playoff experience and so for all those guys to kind of feel their way through the first postseason of their careers or you know the first meaningful postseason of their careers should be an interesting watch from that perspective as well
1: that's a great point and we've seen it throughout history that generally there is a big adjustment to it and talented young teams they can sometimes put a scare into an opponent but they end up losing a couple games whether that's refereeing also the adjustment of the travel and and also just the, the series I mean you talked about it for the players and I completely agree with that but also for coaches I mean Brett Brown this is going to be the first time as a head coach that he is going to have to go into a series and say in game three well this, is, this has worked this hasn't worked how do we go with that and the Sixers in particular, have such extreme strengths and weaknesses that they don't really have the versatility that we talked about with Cleveland in terms of personnel or somebody else. They have extreme strengths. I mean, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid have been incredible this year. Some of the big lineups they can play are just horrible. A lot to deal with but their counter punching is going to be very limited because some of their stuff like the you know playing a guy with his primary ball handler who basically will not take jump shots certain teams will be able to figure out how that works and be able to exploit it
0: and on that note i think there's a reason why we we play the same the same game we have the same conversation with the same talking points every time there's a point guard who can't shoot they play during the regular season they look great their team team's offense looks healthy we get to the playoffs they kind of fall apart in certain areas or at least tense up and aren't able to run their usual stuff and then the next regular season rolls around and the you know the the wave of criticism just kind of resets oh maybe they're better this year oh maybe the offense has learned to adapt without them but That's such a real problem that only kind of manifests in a serious way in the postseason. And I don't know whether that's, you know, coaches will do some ignoring of certain kinds of players or play off of guys or kind of zone up with certain matchups during the regular season. But it's just a fundamentally different kind of situation. And some of that's the scrutiny. Some of that's, you know, the specific instruction you're able to give the other guys on the court in terms of how they're supposed to handle their matchups. You know, it's it's one thing if you're just going to play off a point guard and go under screens and do that. But when everyone on the floor... Has an intimate knowledge of how to handle, you know, basically all the meaningful actions in the opponent's playbook against a guy who can't shoot or isn't going to be a constant threat with the ball. That just changes everything about the way you guard an opposing team. And so, yeah, Ben Simmons is going to be at, the, you know, in the spotlight of whatever playoff series he plays in because he's been so tremendous this year. And to see how he kind of reconciles all the good things about his game, the vision, the defense, the rebounding, his ability to get to the basket, how he squares up all of that with this one kind of fundamental flaw, which we haven't seen, you know, just like we're going to see Ricky Rubio in the playoffs for the first time this year and what that does to his game. Those guys are always worth watching.
1: And that is a great way to talk about something that might be my favorite thing about the first couple rounds of these playoffs. I mean, Obviously, once we get into the conference finals and the finals, it'll be a whole different set of conversations, but... This year, in particular, is striking because of how many players, including some on strong seeds, do not have this playoff experience and are immensely talented. Nobody really has any argument otherwise, but we have not seed. I mean, Giannis won series last year, Anthony Davis won series a couple of years ago. Karl Anthony Towns has never played in the playoffs. We don't know if the Nuggets are going to make it, but Nikola Jokic has never played in the playoffs. This is going to be a very different test for me for Clint Capella, and Capella is obviously higher in PER than he is in terms of stature but so many especially of these bigs we're, we're dealing with an NBA that is changing and evolving at a pretty rapid pace in terms of th- what centers need to be able to do what they cannot do everything like that and so we're going to have all of those forces in play Embiid, I, I can't believe I forgot to mention him all these forces in play while also dealing with all of these guys making their first playoff appearance and the adjustments that go into that.
0: And I think you touched on something important too, which is, you know, even if you have a playoff series, some of these guys, you know, are in such meaningfully different roles. You know, if you look at Victor Oladipo, what he went through in the playoffs last year is not going to be anything like what he does this year. It's just going to be a different level of scrutiny, a different level of, uh, of game planning that he's going to have to do to figure out how to beat certain kinds of defense. How to get around certain kinds of problems. The, the level of focus you need in the playoffs, I think, is still probably not fully understood by average fans who they know the playoffs are different. They know that you know teams are going to be more physical, and that if you play, you know might have to slow down a little bit. Your rotation is going to cinch up. Maybe you know your superstars are obviously going to play more minutes, but just if you're in the game on on a possession to possession basis, and even just an action to action basis, the level of focus you have to have is just so consistently high. And it's the guys who fall asleep for a possession, or an action, or a rotation, or Maybe they're a good defender, but they're only a good defender for, like, two... You know, they only... They kind of make two efforts instead of three efforts, that kind of thing. It's just you have to be just so sharp all the time to really get deep in the playoffs and it's such a hard thing to do and it's really the kind of thing you can only learn from experience and so again the fact that veteran teams go further than younger teams you know it's it's a truism for a reason and i think there's a lot of value to just that practical the practical experience of going through those situations of knowing what you have to do how much you know how close you have to pay in terms of your attention level on every possession
1: Along those lines, one team that I'm going to be very interested in just because of the structure and the turnover and all that is the Utah Jazz. The Jazz have been spectacular defensively, especially, I mean, in this crazy run that they've been going on since Gobert got back. And... There certainly are some holdovers. They have the same coach as last year, but their guard rotation is almost completely different from last year. And not only is it different, but Ricky Rubio, as you said, no playoff experience. Donovan Mitchell is a rookie, obviously no playoff experience. And everybody else is dealing with this new offensive, at least organizational paradigm without Gordon Hayward there. So they have been fantastic during this run. We don't know exactly what seed any team in the West is going to get other than the one, the two, and maybe the three. So there will be a lot that depends on the opponent, but it'll be kind of a a weird system versus experience type of, type of thing for the Jazz. And also, I think we're going to see throughout this playoffs the question of how much does momentum matter? Coming into the playoffs doing well versus, you know, just being a good team. Because so, so like Oklahoma City, they're not changing their personnel. This is not Jimmy Butler coming back. Right now. And that, of course, changes what the Timberwolves are. But they're a really good team. They have a crazy high ceiling. And so let's say that's the four or five in either order. Like, we're going to get a very interesting kind of test for both of those organizations.
0: Definitely so. And I think the Jazz, you know, their offense is going to be very interesting to watch. And especially, you know, we've been talking about the Celtics a lot kind of contrasting their situations because obviously the, both defenses are some of the best in the NBA but Donovan Mitchell at least gives you kind of a pop that you're missing if you're the Celtics you know in terms of what you're getting you know you're going to run a lot of action run a lot of churn get a lot of dribble handoffs a lot of a lot of movement but sometimes that doesn't result in the healthiest kinds of shots Versus, you know, Utah, you may get a lot of the same things, but at the end of that, in you know, short shot clock situations, Mitchell's able to pull a rabbit out of the hat more often than you would ever expect a rookie to do, and. That, that's not going to bail you out in every matchup, but you're going to be able to kind of redeem a couple of possessions and that, that could swing a game, that could swing a series, that could make a big difference, especially when you're talking about, you know, potential 4-5 or five or something like that, where the teams are going to be very close whoever matches up there. Another thing, too, with Utah's offense, they get to the line more than you would expect them to, in part because they do run so much stuff and get kind of in a constant movement. They require a lot of a defense to keep up with them, so guys like Mitchell and Rubio are able to get some pretty decent penetration off of that, but if, if the ref aren't quite so forgiving in that regard in the playoffs, if they're not getting to the line quite so often, if they're, you know, if the games are a little bit more physical and they're letting things go, that could really, you know, play to Utah's detriment in terms of being able to keep up with some of these teams and scoring.
1: Is there any particular team that you would be interested in the Jazz playing? I've been thinking about a Jazz Thunder series just because of how those teams match up, but I think Utah would be intriguing against just about anybody.
0: I tend to agree. And, you know, if you're looking at kind of who, you know, if all, so many of these teams Teams are clumped up from four to eight right now. If you're talking about who would you want to see kind of drift to the bottom to give the Rockets or the Warriors a real scare. I think they're indisputably that team of that kind of bottom five group.
1: Them and the Thunder probably, because the Thunder just have a high ceiling.
0: Agreed. Uh, So you know they're definitely in that conversation. So if if you're talking about who you would want to see against the elite teams, they're right there. And against these other teams, I mean, it's just got to be so tough. I mean, if you're obviously the Thunder, kind of who they're matched up against right now is the standing sit. I would not feel good about that series at all if I were Billy Donovan. If I were anyone on you know as that's a part of that team, obviously you have that high ceiling with the Stars with. You know, Westbrook and George can take you a certain way on their own. Steven Adams has been so good for them this season, but the Jazz just jam up so much of what you want to do. And the Thunder are a team who, when they play badly, they play so badly. And I, I would worry too about just kind of the flow of that, about the momentum and the mentality of of getting frustrated, especially with the pe- you know the players on their roster and the way those guys can kind of uh, lock into themselves a little bit when things get frustrating. You know, you you are going to have some over dribbling, you're going to have some guys passing up good possessions to share the ball and swing the ball. It could get it could get disastrous really fast. And the Thunder too are a team who. I think that would be a fascinating series to watch, just because I don't totally trust their post Andre Robertson defense. You know, they have certain guys in their rotation and certain guys on the roster who are great defenders, but as a team, you know, as a team concept, they're not a group that I would say is going to just completely put the clamps on the Jazz and not allow them to get any of you know any other stuff going. Uh, and when you're talking about like kind of a mediocre offensive team like Utah, that can be the difference between a really competitive series and you know falling out earlier than expected.
1: I hadn't really spent much time thinking about this before now, but the Thunder ended up in a really tough spot if we assume that, like, if we said that theoretically the Jazz were going to get the four or the five because they get in that. So Oklahoma City is going in in all likelihood to face a team that will be aggressive at going after their weaknesses. And the defensive stuff is, of course, there. I mean, Carmelo, Billy Donovan has said the stuff about how he has faith in him and has confidence in him, and they've gotten absolutely eviscerated in certain games incredibly Time because Carmelo is an awful defender, and maybe he can do the Dwayne Wade and really step up for like a week or two and just be that doesn't mean he has to be a dominant player, he's never been a dominant defender, but just be a lot better than he has been. But I also think of it on the defensive end because Russell Westbrook insane player deserving MVP last year, he can be baited into taking bad shots. And this year's Oklahoma City team has a different kind of offensive expectancy. And so if you can kind of get, try to generate bad Russ offensively, I think that will Take it might also take some of their other guys out of a rhythm, and I could totally see the Jazz doing that. Terry Stotts is there; he's actually really well suited for that, just because of what their offense or sorry, what their defense wants the opposing offense to do in the first place. And then the Warriors and Rockets have just so much experience with it at this point, and so. Oklahoma City is going to face a team that knows how to attack it, but the other X factor that they have is Paul George, and I think back to certain games in that, I think it was 2016, in that 1st round series against the Raptors, where he was great, and he, he was spectacular, and if he can... Was that 2015? Might have been 15. And... Paul George can swing a game. He can swing a couple games, and that's all it really takes to swing a series.
0: I'm fascinated too to see kind of how forward-looking players like Westbrook would would potentially be in a series like that, where you know he's an incredible competitor. He's going to be fighting for his life all the time, but how present in it in his mind the idea that you know if we want Paul George to be here beyond this season, and maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I, I would assume he does. How much you know does that change at all how I'm going about these games, how involved I'm trying to get George on a possession to possession? basis knowing that they think they can you know players in the nba think they can win most of the games that they're in they think they can win most of the series they're in they think they have a shot but if if things start to go sour how much attention is paid to okay how do i at least make george feel like he's involved how how much of a show can we put up here to at least make us look competitive in this series against what's going to be a pretty good team pretty much no matter what because the thunder have more kind of writing on their playoff outcome even though it's probably a doomed playoff outcome than any other team in the field
1: yeah, that's, that's a really complicated element of this for them. And also, I want to see what Steven Adams can do in, in, in the series. He has such great chemistry with Russell Westbrook. The way that Oklahoma City balances attacking the offensive glass basically with him and then getting back on defense is going to translate really, really well for the playoffs. I think Donovan has managed that balance better than just about any coach in the league, partially due to the brilliance of Steven Adams. And so how does that work out? And with all of these teams, th- there's so much- much variance in terms of the personnel that they're going up against like let's say it's a jazz thunder series okay now it's steven adams versus rudy gobert that is a very different series than theoretically facing the warriors and their weird collection of centers and often going to be draymond at center in a lot in in what that series could be and so versatility is such an important element of it not only in terms of switching out players but also in terms of the versatility of individual players you know if an opponent can take away one thing that you do what else can you do well and we're going to learn that with the sixers we're going to learn that with the thunder and so many other teams and what i i think maybe my single most excited exciting part of this whole process is for basically every team in this, but Cleveland and the Warriors, just because of LeBron and the way the Warriors do things, we don't really know what their counterpunches are because this those teams in their current iteration haven't really had to deal with it. And so there is just going to be this onslaught of information, especially like the first weekend, the first week of the playoffs, with learning how these teams face that kind of challenge.
0: And personally speaking, I mean, that's kind of where I start if I'm looking at a playoff bracket and trying to think about, okay, which of these series could be... Be potential upsets which ones could go drastically differently than i expect i think you start with that versatility because you know as you mentioned we don't really know exactly what they're going to throw out for the first move the first kind of chess the chess move of these series but you can kind of figure out, okay, if I'm the Blazers, for example, there's a certain amount of adaptability in having both Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, some some flexibility. You know, if even if one of them has a, a long frustrating defender against them, you can work through the other. You're going to get a certain amount of side-to-side action just by the nature of their offense. Obviously, teams are going to put a lot of pressure on on Mo Harkless or Al-Farouq or kind of the non-shooters that are in the lineup at various times. And then also kind of what you can get away with uh, in terms of their three-guard stuff. You know, Shabazz Napier has been so good for them. What, what playoff matchups could you get away with playing three guards against and which ones can't you? And so – that's always kind of my starting point with these teams and so you can kind of see outlines of who's more adaptable and who is not that's obviously going to be such a big problem for Boston Is something I really wonder about with the Sixers the talent there is so overwhelming but if they get locked up in certain ways how are they able to respond and it's really what separates some of these lower seated teams from some of the higher ones you know I think the Bucks are maybe case in point of that where so many other guys kind of attack individually in straight line ways where you know even though the talent level there is pretty high it can be pretty flummoxable if you uh, if you throw the right stuff at them
1: and then the other element of it for me which goes along with that and the team i use for this is miami even though this current iteration you know post lebron hasn't really done a ton in these circumstances is i love the way miami executes and i love the way spo uh, defensively aggressively goes after what it, what basically what a team can't do and i just find them it's not necessarily that miami is going to win their first round series but that they can make the other team really really uncomfortable i had been honing in on the idea of a Miami-Toronto series for a while, not in terms of Miami winning it, but making it just just basically making everyone in Toronto really, really unhappy. And there are certain teams that can impose that will. And an underrated one, if they can do it at the bounce, is actually the Sixers. Because they just have so much size and defensively that if you're just sitting there going, how are we going to score on these guys other than in transition because they turn the ball over so many times? If their half-court defense is as good as it could be, then that can also kind of lead to an opponent spiraling.
0: I mean, you can go ahead and book it that... Either some team in the conference finals this year. Or some team that makes a deep run next year I feel like the Heat are going to be that kind Of like what the Grizzlies were to the Warriors That team that we played and learned so much About ourselves against that's the kind Of team they are to me where I yeah, I Don't realistically think that they're going to knock off Any of the best teams in the East But they're going to be such a pain to play against And they're going to demand such Precision and perfection in terms of what the other Team is running that I think they they serve To be kind of an instructive tool for somebody
1: Yeah and it just so happens that I mean to some, of the, some of the teams that they could face have a lot of that perimeter talent I would love to see a Cavs heat series never we haven't really gotten to that point since LeBron left And I guess, yeah, since we we want to go in a different direction, I've been ending a lot of these podcasts, and this is not the end of this one, but it's the end of this discussion, with a basic question that is a little bit open, which is in each conference, so thinking about the conferences separately, what series do you most want to see that is reasonably possible? It can be in any round, it can be conference finals, whatever, and the only one I will take off the board, just because I think everybody would pick it if we didn't, is Rockets Warriors. So, what series in the East, what series in the West do you most want to see that is still possible?
0: I would really like to see A Sixers Raptors series And it's not one that's particularly favorably set up by the bracket. Well, if they get the four. Yeah, that's true. There's enough to move around where that could happen. But just in terms of, you know, a young team that is so bullish on itself and so confident in itself against this veteran team that is always kind of like one game, one loss away from kind of starting, you know, to self-doubt and kind of, you know, be a little too introspective at times. And then we've seen, as you mentioned, in in crunch time in some of these games, kind of throw some of their best stuff out and revert to old habits and things like that. It's always really interesting to see these, you know, I think the Raptors are an incredibly accomplished team by most metrics over the last couple of years. They have a lot to be proud of as an organization. They've certainly played great basketball this year, but they have so many demons. And to see that kind of contrast with, you know, not only just kind of some fascinating matchups in a series like that, but big picture, a team like the Sixers who, you know, quote unquote, aren't even supposed to be here yet, just in terms of overperforming this year and being, you know, so far ahead of schedule in terms of, you know, really their elite play with their starting lineup. And you have that aspect of, as well of a team that is is super great in terms of its starters versus a really deep team in Toronto. That's one that, that I would love to see in the West. Well, yeah, if you, I mean, if, you,
1: if you want to think about the West, I can give you my East one now. It's it's shifted a little bit with all the injuries, but I want to see LeBron versus Giannis once before like pod the possibility that LeBron goes to the Western Conference. So, even though I don't think Cavs Bucks would be the best series, and it is a potential 3-6, so it could absolutely happen. It could also theoretically happen as a 3-7 in the second round if Milwaukee can beat Boston. But we never got to see LeBron versus Kobe. We've gotten to see LeBron versus KD just twice now, and we very well might get to see it a third time this year and it's entirely possible that we wouldn't get to see much LeBron versus Giannis those guys guarding each other but I always just love those ball dominant physically dominant players just seeing what happens when they meet somebody who might not be their equal but is as close as they're going to get and Giannis's ascendance has really taken that to a different level and I think I know what would happen in that series but I just want to see it because if I'm wrong it would be a transcendent moment
0: no I don't th- I don't think seeing Giannis and LeBron play the playoffs is too much to ask I think we're owed that you know it's been a rough season on everybody in the league so many injuries like just very draining all around in terms including on you know coaches that are in the nba but that seems like the gift if we're not going to get Kyrie LeBron I think Giannis LeBron would be a beautiful thing but uh, but in the West I mean I'm I'm very curious to see the Wolves in the playoffs just as a team that, that's you know finally getting that for their fan base and I think the team I would want to see them against is the Jazz just because I feel like it could be kind of a come to Jesus moment for the Wolves in terms of some of their defensive issues where some of that's obviously personnel driven and some of the habits of their younger guys and you know just what certain guys are and are not willing to do but to kind of look across the aisle and see what the Jazz are able to get out of the talent they have and then to kind of look in your own locker room where you have so many incredibly athletic, incredibly gifted players, incredibly skilled players, you know, some of the best offensive talent in the league, and guys who, again, really should be better defensively than they are, they're a team that kind of needs that awakening. And they're not going to get it just from a playoff series. It's going to take longer than that and you know more work than that, both in terms of just kind of getting after it on a regular basis in the regular season and, and really kind of approaching the game differently men- from a mental standpoint. But I think that's kind of the st- start of that is you have to you have to really kind of appreciate and understand what a great defensive team can do and kind of if that's your foundation if your foundation is Rudy Gobert level defense on a regular basis what kinds of players you can get away with playing around him just because that's already so solid
1: that series would also bring in Towns versus Gobert and intellectually at the center position there might not be a matchup that I would be more interested in because they succeed they are incredible in such different ways and they directly conflict with each other towns the versatility offensively to to score all over the court to be a factor in the offense even though i think he should be a bigger factor in their offense i don't know how the jazz would deal with elements of that and i mean we've seen towns do well in crunch time i mean game against the warriors when he just beasted on draymond green he's had some nice moments against joel Embiid. i can't particularly remember towns gobert stuff though i'm sure it has happened And then Towns defensively. I mean, that kind of goes along with what you were saying. I mean, we have these these big questions, and as important as a healthy Jimmy Butler could be in terms of setting the tone for them defensively, it really does often boil down to the big men. How much dribble penetration can you stop? How much of that churn that Utah can sometimes generate in those looks that are built around sometimes getting to the lane, getting fouled, all those sorts of things? How much of that can Minnesota take away? That series would be absolutely fabulous. Thunder Warriors is another short one on that list for reasons on and off the court. I mean, those games are just ridiculously intense. And this is not my A1 or anything like that because it sounds like Kawhi's not coming back. But if the Spurs end up as the 8, an 8-1 of Spurs Rockets just with all of the demons that are in play there would be so fascinating.
0: I I would root for that series to happen just just for Mike D'Antoni's sake i just you know you 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 really want that guy to get a good shot at some sense of not i mean redemption isn't the right word but just kind of a purging of of all kind of the bad mojo that's been around him and his teams obviously the james harden perspective there as well i i would love for them to get another crack at that series last year it's one i saw a lot of the games in person in terms of how the rockets kind of fell apart and was so strange to watch in real time just you know how how quickly things devolved for them And that team has been so interesting all year long the success of their isolation offense what their defense has been able to do especially since moving Ryan Anderson to the bench and kind of the versatility of their lineups obviously it's better with Kawhi out there but the Spurs are one of those teams who they're another another squad who I would love to watch against any young team just because you just the contrast in as we've been talking about throughout this conversation attention to detail and focus and execution level in the playoffs you know the Spurs play a lot of young players and they haven't really been the same team this year in a lot of respects but you would you would certainly expect that in the playoffs they would have that and to see that against the Rockets in the first round right out of the gate a team that is going to be you know ill-equipped in the Spurs but is going to have some weird way to attack them and to kind of neutralize them of what they do effectively not only could it be great for the Rockets in the long term but it's it's kind of exactly what we want to see with Houston to see them overcome those kinds of trials
1: one I hadn't thought of this until you just mentioned that Blazers Spurs with DeJounte Murray now taking that starting role. I don't think San Antonio would win that series, but just to see what their defenders, even without Kawhi, can do against Damon CJ, I would watch the first like two or three games of that series so intently with the idea of looking at kind of what Murray can be moving forward. I mean, we have no idea what Danny Green's features with the team. He has that player option. And Sometimes you want to look at a first-round series and you want a competitive series. Other times you just want something that's intellectually compelling. And Blazers-Spurs would certainly fit that bill for me.
0: Well, I think that kind of circles back to what you were talking about with uh, with Towns and Gobert as well. Where, you know, every year my colleague Ben Goliver and I do this ranking of the top 100 players in the league. And so we're kind of constantly monitoring, you know, a guy like Gobert – where might he be moving in the list based on his performance this season? And, you know, a guy like Towns is such a fascinating counterpoint for that, for all the reasons you already explained. And so to see those kinds of specific contrasts on a player-to-player basis, on a team-to-team basis, I mean, that's that's why, to me, the first weekend of the playoffs is maybe my favorite sporting event all year. It's just four games Saturday, four games Sunday, back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back to back. And, and, again, like we've been talking about, you're seeing kind of that first glimpse of what the strategies and what the kind of what the decision points in the series are going to be. It's it's really the best.
1: For the end of this, I want to talk about one of your projects, which I've just been so fascinated with over the last couple of years, the Breakaway Podcast. And I think what, beyond just it being great material, that I find so interesting about it is that it takes an idea that exists in other genres and kind of more of the story narrative-based podcast and applies it to basketball in a way that just It completely makes sense. And so what I was wondering was kind of, I guess, the place to start is how, how the idea came into being. And then if you want to talk a little bit about how it is making an episode, like, do you think of the idea and then get the quotes around it? Do you maybe like I was thinking about the Lillard one, do you talk with guys and then go, hey, this is the angle, just all that kind of stuff, because I find it so interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, just in terms of the idea for the show, I, I listen to a ton of podcasts, a lot of them are narrative based. And so just as you mentioned, seeing kind of what works in other mediums and the idea that this really is suited for the NBA, and especially. Especially, you know, working at Sports Illustrated, where our strength in a a lot of ways is our feature writing, is our more in-depth material, the idea that you could take that. There are great discussion podcasts all around the Internet. There are great kind of more casual setups to that conversation. But what if we approach, you know, an audio form with that same kind of discipline uh, that same kind of format and really let the player speak for themselves beyond just kind of a Q and A style interview. And so, you know, I think you could draw some pretty obvious points of inspiration if you listen to an episode of Breakaway in terms of what podcast it's like. One that I lean on a lot is Song Exploder, which is a terrific podcast. Kind of they dive into one song with the artist who wrote it and, and played it and kind of really pick it apart from the inside. And so breakaway in a lot of respects is is a similar concept to that. It's taking one big idea in the NBA. You know, the Damian Lillard episode like you mentioned is all about, you know, running a locker room and leadership and kind of how that dynamic works. And so when you get somebody who is really an expert in that particular discipline talking about that topic, all kinds of interesting wrinkles are bound to come up. And so, I mean, the, the, the idea is always hammered out before we get to the interview stage. But there are obviously angles and facets to that that are going to come up that are unexpected just by virtue of, you know, I'm coming to it from a certain perspective, trying to understand from the outside of a locker room, for example, how you go about connecting players, how you go about reaching out to individual guys, whatever the specific Aspect of that might be, but Lillard is coming into it from a a completely different, you know, knowledge base and track record. And a different kind of fundamental understanding of what that is and what that takes.
1: So then you so you kind of take an idea like for that one, I think the title was leadership. So you take that idea, then do you kind of identify who the the crux of that is going to be and then find a way to talk to them and the people in their orbit? Like for that one, it was, you know, there were a bunch of different people that and I'm sure there were a lot of people you talked to that were not a part of the show itself. Is that kind of the idea? So like you take an idea, then you figure out the, the, the like kind of the focus area and then you build the world around it.
0: It kind of works both ways sometimes, where sometimes you identify a player where it's just like, this player is so polarizing in some way, and I want, I personally want to figure out why that is, or they're so captivating in some way, or what is it that They really, you know, I I like watching this player or I I find them interesting when I read their quotes. What is it about them that is kind of singular and at the same time kind of also identifies some kind of broader trend in basketball? And so I would say most of them start conceptually. The idea of connecting doing an episode on systems in the NBA to Mike D'Antoni, for example, is a pretty easy line to draw but that one could have easily gone both ways where it could start with okay we really need to find a way to build an episode around Mike D'Antoni who's you know a great talker super open will will tell you and really share a lot of his process and his insights on things But also digging into the idea of systems, you know, we could have done that with a coach who coaches more of a triangle type system, somebody who, you know, someone like the Warriors who does more of uh, a more egalitarian kind of style in a different way. But, you know, making these through lines from concept to person, I think, are usually pretty self-evident, but I I think they probably start with the concept more often than not.
1: That makes sense. I've been... A little bit haunted by the Robertson one just because the idea of the work he put in and and just knowing that it wasn't going to come to anything this season and then the, the question of what they're going to be long term. And I think that's important to, to go at it. And the idea also that I think your show does better than definitely than anything that I do is this idea that I've always had trouble conveying to people who are not in our business, which is this understanding that basketball players are human beings, not just like basketball playing automatons. And that can get frustrated. And this actually came up recently. There was this conversation that happened going back to Vince Carter doing his college graduation, you know, right before that playoff game. And it's worth remembering that, that, you know, all of these other pressures that are in place and also how the best laid plans can go awry for so many different reasons.
0: No, you're really you're really teeing me up for the Vince Carter one because this is a personal pet peeve of mine. Just in, you know, I think you laid it out really well. In Wait, are you of, actually doing a Vince Carter one? Oh no, I just mean in terms of that perspective. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> it's just. <laughs> Uh, Vince has been our on our uh, to do list for a while. We're hoping to get him at some point, but I mean, I guess we're maybe running out of time in terms of how long his career could potentially go. But maybe that's maybe that's something else anyway. But just that specific episode, the idea that you could point to another another person and tell them what should or shouldn't be important in their life, based on again. A game 7 against the Sixers in the playoffs that year, where he attended his graduation the same day, came back, played a pretty good game against one of the best defenses in the league, got that team to the Game 7 in the first place, and missed a game winner, which is a very weird thing and a very fluky thing to kind of point your finger at and say, oh, he definitely missed that shot because he flew to his graduation today. To take all of that and wrap it up in the idea that you can dictate to another person what should or shouldn't be important to them is so silly to me. But I think you're you're absolutely right in the idea that breakaway is is supposed to be rooted in the humanity of these people. And you know, we just did an episode with Wayne Ellington of the Heat about you know being a journeyman in the NBA and kind of what what that dynamic is like. And one of the things that came up is just this idea that you know if you're on year-to-year deals, you're supposed to ideally play a certain way to play you know winning basketball or good basketball or whatever you deem that to be. But there's also just this competing pressure at all times where you have this anxiety in the back of your head about, oh, I don't have a contract for next year. Oh, I'm not secure. Oh, I could be out of the league. I don't really know and also I need to put up points to get noticed that these other teams might want me and those teams, you know, teams around the league scout pretty well in general but they are, you know, they display some suspect judgment at times. They look at kind of more box score production at times depending on the franchise. And so as a human, you're kind of caught in this very interesting spot. And so if you if you run through we've done 10 episodes so far between this year and last, kind of more of a, a mini series concept but they they really are all about that humanity in some way or another. It's how does a person feel how does, how does a professional basketball player feel when that part of their identity is stripped from them and they're forced to rehab from a major injury for months and months and months, or how does you know a player adapt? From workplace to workplace and situation to situation when they're constantly asked to be doing different things or when, you know, in the case of we talked to DeMar DeRozan this year, you know, if isolation basketball and scoring one-on-one was the thing that got you out of Compton and made you an important NBA player and an all-star and got you paid and put you on the map in a bigger way than maybe you would have ever imagined – what does it mean when someone asks you to not do that thing anymore? And so, you know, we really try to get to the heart of those with these players, in particular, as much as we possibly can, or the coaches who come on the podcast. But the humanity of that and of the league are, are really, I mean, it's its what defines it.
1: Yeah, and it's also been impressive how open maybe maybe some of this comes in the editing, uh, but how open people have been about it. And some of that might be the way that it's framed and coming into it, because I think that the, you have to kind of find the right angle a lot of times with individual in the sport where it feels like they're not giving away the store, but also that it it conveys, that it, it feels like they're giving people better sense. And I think another element that has probably helped this take off the way that it has is now it's so much easier for players to convey their real selves on social media or whatever else that they don't have to do all of the facade legacy making stuff in the same way as before now it, it can just be kind of an extension and so like you know, a lot of the ones you could just bring of it, like, like even for players that are not as prominent like the Robin Lopez episode I thought that really did tie in with a lot of the elements so it's not like he would ever say say no to that because I think it helped build his brand if you will.
0: Yeah and I think there is a certain kind of threshold in a lot of these, these interviews. Uh, every player is different in terms of how open they're willing to be but there's kind of initially for the first couple of minutes there's a a normal kind of wearing down the usual media barrier because they're used to athletes are used to giving you know in a lot of cases what they think the answer that a media person would want to hear is and it's framed in a certain way it's it's simplified in a certain way but once you get to the point where it's like no we really are going to sit here for an extended period of time and i'm only going to ask you questions about perimeter defense this entire time you one i mean you get people talking about what they're what they're great at and so many of these guys in the nba are really you know, genius level practitioners of their particular craft. And so to start from that perspective, where just as an interviewer, I have a lot to learn from these guys about what they do and how they're successful and what, you know, what their particular journey has been like to start from that perspective. And then, once you get deeper and deeper, and if, if you're conveying, you know, an earnest want to understand more about what makes them effective or what they do well, or how they're thinking about this particular sequence, or how they're how they think about their careers or their place in the league or whatever it is, you know, there's there's a bit of a captive audience there, because we all kind of, you know, there's this agreement that we're going to do this interview, and you're kind of here. And so you might as well make the best of it. But there, there is kind of some kind of opening and some kind of connection in terms of uh, those guys feeling like I think they can share those things.
1: It also ties in with something that I've noticed with NBA players, which is that if you can get them in the right area, you're kind of talking in their passion. Some people use the word nerd for this kind of stuff, and I think that's a little bit overstated. But let's say like Tony Allen or Andre Robertson with defense, there's so much nuance that is a part of their lives and is a part of what makes them great that if you get it in their wheelhouse, then they're excited about it because that's a big part of their life. And it also, I I would say in certain moments, like, hey, somebody actually wants to hear about this that's pretty exciting and like I've had that one of my favorite conversations I ever had was when it was I think my first year covering the Warriors this was in 2009 or something like that I talked with Manu Ginobili about attacking his own defenses and we talked for like five minutes about just what you want to do what you don't want to do and he had it I mean granted Manu's just that kind of guy anyway so I, I was it wasn't like it was surprising but when you get it in the right place they, uh, you can you can really get guys to open them, but not everybody. I mean, there are certain guys I've tried to talk with, especially about defense, that just sh- shut down because it happens. But that combination is just so potent, and it it, it can be underappreciated. In this just how much work goes into being great.
0: And I think it's so much for a lot of these guys that they may not even completely realize what they're doing or or they've done it for so long they forget kind of how to contrast themselves with a normal person or someone just coming into the league or something like that. You know, to be star level good or even kind of star level in your role in the NBA is such an act of passion. It's such an act of of brilliance, of genius, of commitment for a lot of these guys. And so much of it becomes so automatic where – if you can kind of get past that first layer of this is just an instinctive thing that I do and I don't know why I do it to kind of what got them doing that thing in the first place, then there's really a lot of a fertile material there in terms of just trying to understand as a basketball fan, uh, what makes for good basketball, you know, what makes for a good career, how these guys are effective. Uh, it all it all really starts with that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, anything else that you feel like we well, obviously there's a lot we can discuss, but anything else you feel like we should discuss either on Breakaway or anything else
0: nothing is jumping to mind uh i'm ready for the playoffs (laughs) i'm a bit i'm running a bit uh a bit tired of regular season basketball especially between injuries and tanking you know the regular season is is usually my time of year i really enjoy kind of the rhythms of it but at this stage i think we're all kind of ready to move on
1: yeah, I think I'm going to try to focus on just those that narrow section of games that both should be competitive and matter, and I'll try to, try to focus on that for the rest of this because also these playoffs, it's going to be very different from some of the other ones because day one, it's going to be not only more competitive, I think, than the other ones, but we're going to be learning a lot more, and that's why I'm so excited. So I have to be on my game starting next Saturday because there's no other way to do it. Oh,
0: for sure. And I mean, even just seeing some of the appearances, like, I mean, let's give it up for a Mecca Okafor back in the playoffs. Yeah. Just things like that are going to be are always are always fun. Uh, and you know, between first time appearances, guys who you thought were out of the league. Guys who have been, you know, surprises in their respective rotations, guys who are in star roles for the first time. Again, there there really is no better time of the year than what we're about to kind of come up on. And the cost of getting there is just these the business of these last few games. So let's let's get on with it. Let's uh let's get everyone there as healthy as possible and get it going.
1: Yeah, we're gonna get some special atmospheres because a lot of these teams like the Wolves and the Sixers, they, there's been some pain since the last time they made the playoffs.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean I would I would love to be in either of those buildings for their first their first home game the playoffs. is going to be a pretty special time.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the
0: time. Danny, anytime.
1: Thank you so much to Rob Mahoney for taking the time to come on. You can read him at Sports Illustrated. You can listen to the Breakaway podcast in whatever podcast player you choose. It is available everywhere. And if you're getting into it now and you like it, I would definitely recommend going through the back catalog a lot of the episodes hold up very well i was listening to some of the ones that i had missed for whatever reason on my drive back from all-star and absolutely loved it. it was part of what inspired this though i like talking with rob anyway of course he's been on the show before Rare, it is rare for me to be able to say the next episode of Real Jam Radio, but because I am going to be out of town, I've already recorded it. I'm in the process of editing it. That will be with Sam Vecini on the prospects and impact of the NCAA tournament on the NBA draft. That will probably come out Tuesday. I haven't set, set out a specific date and time yet, but that's the tentative plan right now. And... It's a really good episode. I'm very happy with it. So you can check that out. And that's a great reminder that the way to support the show, one big thing to do is subscribe, download every episode, because that way you know, I mean, it's inconsistent with this when it's going to come out. You can check that out as well. And leave a rating leave a review if you're so inclined in whatever podcast player but if it's iTunes and Apple that's great they are still the big thing in our business if you have any feedback good bad or indifferent DannyLarue, nba at gmail.com happy to do it not going to be on my email a whole lot in the next week but it'll still be there when I get back so do that I promise to read it if you take the time to write it I will take the time to read it though I can't respond to everybody now I get a lot and I have as you all know I have a lot of other things to do so go through that and then the single most important thing you can do is check out our sponsors for this episode. That's True Car. You can buy a new car, used car from them. And you should also check out uh, "You're Welcome" with Chael Sonnen. That comes out, I believe, it's Wednesdays and Fridays. And one in, in the family, of podcast one. And I'm so happy to do that. I, I will actually make a guest appearance on a podcast one show this upcoming week. But since I don't know how they treat their guests in terms of announcements, I'm not going to beat them to the punch on that, but I was thrilled to do it. So that'll be a lot of fun. That'll come out, I think, on Wednesday of next week, so or the upcoming week. So that'll be really fun. It was a thrill for me. And yeah, I mean, lots of fun stuff going on in the league, and that will continue to be true. These playoffs, especially the early rounds, Rob and I were just geeked out over it to a degree. There's a lot to learn. And the first weekend is going to be a lot of fun. For those of you who are interested in it, Nate and I will be doing a lot of the Twitter NBA show early on and probably throughout the playoffs. But those early games are pretty definitive. And so you can check that out. That's basically alternate commentary for those games. You can also check out my work, Dunked On With Nate, writing for Real GM, had a hardship piece that came out pretty recently, The Athletic, where all of my offseason previews are going to go. I'm doing those on all 30 teams in the process of writing those. Not sure when they're going to start being released, but my instinct is mid to late April, and then they'll roll through to right around the draft. And it's a labor of love, but it also sets up my off-season work, so it can be a framing kind of device for all that sort of stuff. And then I might have some stuff for the sport News. I don't have anything planned for, for them right now, but... It's gonna be just an awesome stretch, and I am less confident in what's going to happen than I have been in a long time. And while it's nice to get predictions right, the uncertainty of sports is why I'm so into, into it. So you can do that. And oh, I forgot to mention Rob's Twitter handle. Rob Mahoney, R O B M A H O N E Y. Sorry about that, Rob, but people know. He has I mean, you should follow him. He's his insight is fabulous. And that's enough for now. I've been rambling enough, so thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Free COVID vaccine is FDA authorized for kids five and up.
0: Do it for your besties and the resties.
1: It's safe for your child and can help protect their friends.
0: Do it for birthdays.
1: And help protect your family. And game night. When you give your child the vax, you give them the power to learn. Do it for field trips. And camp out. To experience. And big hugs. And to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated and give them the power. paid for with Pennsylvania
0: taxpayer dollars. Thunderstruck.